Hello and welcome. I'm Marquette, and you are listening to Mind Body Dallas. Thank you for being here. Today I am doing a book review, or you might want to call it a book summary, of Bob Goff's Everybody Always. It's a great book, very inspiring. It's about becoming love in a world full of setbacks and difficult people. Really great book, highly recommend. Um, Bob is known for his incredible storytelling, and um, that's definitely his trademark is his storytelling. So each chapter is a different story. So I, of course, don't have time to give you all the juicy details of all the stories. I'm sure he wasn't even able to write all the juicy details, but the book is really good, um, rich with details and great stories. Um, I will give you the overview, the quick highlights that I thought were especially important and give you just the um, rough overview of the book. That way, those of you who don't have time to read or don't like reading um, can just listen to this. And this is Bob Goff's Everybody Always, plus a little bit of flair from me, things I've picked up along the way or things that especially inspired me. Let me tell you a little bit about Bob Goff. He is what he calls a recovering lawyer. He um, walked into his own law firm one day and just quit on the spot so he could just go out and love everybody. (laughs) Um, He's the founder of Love Does, which is another book by him too. Highly recommend. Um, Hopefully, I'll be able to do a book review on that one day soon too. Love Does is a book, but it's also an organization. It's a nonprofit organization that operates schools and safe houses uh, and pursues pursues justice for women and children in conflict uh, in areas such as Uganda, Somalia, and Iraq. He's a lawyer who also sits on the honorary consul for the Republic of Uganda to the United States. He's an adjunct professor at Pepperdine Law School and Point Loma, Point Loma Nazarene University. And um, he lives in San Diego with his wife, who he calls adoringly Sweet Maria, which I think is just so cute. He, again, has a really great way of telling darling stories. I love each chapter of this book. All the stories are just phenomenal. And um, it starts off with chapter one, creepy people. So let's talk about creepy people. God wants us to live, excuse me, love everybody always. Live in love, not just people who are in your, what Bob calls your holy huddle. Those people who are easy to love, who are just like you, um, who really are fun to love, but also the the creepy people, the people around your community who are maybe you don't want to get to know very well or you don't know very well because they kind of creep you out or give you a bad vibe or um, also the people in your huddle though that are kind of creepy or kind of get on your nerves too. The people who are hard or abrasive to love. We are called to love everybody always and With that being said, of course, Bob has to say, okay, I'm giving you guys a wide berth here. I'm kind of asking you, of course, to use discretion. And I'm telling you that too. We have this gift of fear. We have discretion. We have, um, we have to judge situations. You know, if a car was coming at you too fast, you would jump out of the way. Like you have danger eject button. We need to know that and honor that. Of course, if somebody's doing anything dangerous or um, abusive or 
anything like that, please, of course, use discretion with that said, which is kind of obvious, but with that said, love everybody always. Try to let go of your judgments of people. These are the ways that we um, are known, I guess you could say. Bob calls it, he says that we will be known for our opinions, but we will be remembered by our love. So we want to be people who are remembered for our love, the love we shared with others, not our judgments, not our opinions, how we were right. We always knew the right way and we judged others on, um, you know, something that's different than you. Maybe they have different hair or different style or different, um, different beliefs or different political views or whatever it is. It's, it's like, can we still love each other even though we're different? Jesus isn't calling us to be the same. He's calling us to be love. And Bob talks about that a lot throughout his book. Of course, don't lose your way trying to help people find theirs. We have to have boundaries, of course. Put our family first, our our faith, all, all these things. Um, there is a fine line between being what's that word? Is it altruistic? You know, self-sacrificing, giving yourself to the world, letting yourself be everything to everyone versus also narcissistic kind of self-gratifying or completely self-centered, completely selfish. There's a fine line between those and a perfect blend of being sacrificial in a way, Um, thinking of others, being thoughtful, but also taking care of your own needs as well Um, and being safe and honoring your own health and uh, growth. He says here that people cannot see Jesus if their view of him is blocked by your opinions. And I just love that. That kind of ties everything we just said, um, or I just said, <laughs> to together with a nice big bow. So go out and find someone you've been avoiding and give away extravagant love. God didn't say it would be easy. He said it would work. Love works. Love does. Love works. And it's like, okay, we have to love God, love our neighbor, love our enemies, even the creepies. (laughs) So here we are to the creepies. And uh, by the way, that reminds me sometimes like I'm creepy sometimes or I'm hard to love or very abrasive. Like it reminds me too that Sometimes I'm really hard to love and how good it feels when someone just wraps their arms around around me and just says, um, I can tell you need a hug right now or um, they, they love me anyway, even when I'm being hard to love, whether it's a parent or a sibling or a spouse or anything like that. I mean, who can you see in your life that might need love? One of my favorite quotes is... Uh, the people who are the hardest to love are often the ones who need it the most. And I just love that quote because sometimes I can think of people that I've loved in that way that it made me feel really good to love them because I knew it was a a high calling. And it made me feel really good when I've received that love on the other side. So it is a humbling feeling to be loved. um, Even when you're not deserving or you don't feel like you're deserving. Um, Sometimes that self-doubt or 
things like that get in the way, but we're not talking about that right now. We're just talking about loving others. And I just wanted to throw that in also, um, that sometimes you're hard to love too, (laughs) and you still deserve love you and me and all of us. Okay. Now he tells a story about meeting Carol. So he moved, he and sweet Maria moved several times in their first years of being married. Their first 10 years of being married, they moved like six times. They bought a lot of houses. Um, they ended up buying the house across the street from them and they interviewed people (laughs) because they didn't care how much they sold it for whatever they wanted. They knew that they want to do business or or he said, you do business with buyers, but you do life with neighbors. So he did all these interviews, um, to decide who their neighbor would be. And it was a unanimous decision to have Carol become their neighbor. Carol, he gives a lot more of this story, but she ends up with cancer and, um, they took the sweetest care of her. Their family was so darling. He seems like the best neighbor ever, just really sweet, very thoughtful, um, would take her to her appointments sometimes, would bring her hot dogs from the, uh, game. She loved baseball and she, she would bring her hot dogs and he even gave her a walkie talkie and he would walk, he would, uh, talk and, you know, click and check in with her. And I think that is just so sweet. He talks about this later in the book too, but right now is when he first layers it in. Be not afraid. It's like, how can we love without boundaries? How can we love without fear? How can we be not afraid? How can we do that? Don't let fear call all the shots. Um, Have this contagious hope, this quiet confidence of loving others and um, how we can really change the course of other people's lives, even just our neighbors. I mean, get out, get to know your neighbors. These days, we, I feel like we barely even know each other. We might know each other from walking the dog. So we know each other's names and the dog's names, and that's about it. But really getting to know one another, really getting into people's homes, coming over, bringing them a hot dog. I mean, how sweet, giving them a a walkie-talkie when they're going through a hard time. He throws these uh, parties, these parades every, I think it's New Year's day they throw these big parade they live on a cul-de-sac I think and um they go through and everyone does a big parade and in Carol's final days they even all came and gave her balloons and hugs and candy and they they just celebrated Queen Carol so they gave her a um a crown and everything and they just all came through the house and they did this big parade and in her final days and, um, she was able to make one last parade. So they do that every year. And that was, she got to be the queen of the parade that day. And I just think, you know, so sweet. How can we become the neighbor? Like, like Bob, you know, is somebody going through a hard time? Maybe they're moving and it's like, oh my gosh, can I buy you pizza or drop off a salad? Or, um, they're going through a hard time or their dog dies. Can I stop by or can can I pick your kids up? I know you are, whatever it is, I don't know. You you know what the need is. It's kind of like, okay, find a need and fill it, especially if it's your neighbor. Um, drop off something nice. Do something thoughtful. Um, it's really, really could go a long way. Now he gets into love everybody always. This is chapter three. 
having a purpose versus a plan. Have you ever noticed when you really get into your feeling places, like when you're feeling your feelings (laughs) and you're feeling your inside your body or not just in your head, like thinking about what you should be feeling or thinking about what you should be thinking, you're thinking about a plan. But when you're in your body and you're feeling your feelings, um, that feeling of purpose is so motivating. It's so driving. It's so, uh, inspiring. It's so, it's like fire in your bones and you feel like, a, you know, um, purpose driven. <laughs> it's different than when you have a plan, which is methodical and you're thinking about it. And, uh, he just says, and this is one thing that he said on his Instagram a few times, you might see him holding a big bunch of, uh, balloons stop waiting for a plan and just go out and love everybody no one expects you to love flawlessly but we can love fearlessly furiously and unreasonably I love that it's just what I was saying a few minutes ago about often the people who are the hardest to love are the ones that need it the most can we love relentlessly can we love unreasonably my reason my head my thinking parts my brain says don't love them they don't deserve it they don't deserve to be loved and and I'm not saying uh it goes back to you might have heard judge the behavior not the person I love that I tell myself that all the time like this person was made by God and he's a great person she's a great person um but the behavior is bad so judge the behavior not the person I think of that a lot when I'm trying to coach myself through um, a situation that I need help in. I might judge the behavior, not the person. That's bad behavior. Or I might even tell the person, depending on who it is and if I'm close enough, if I need to set a boundary, I'll say, listen, I love you very much, but I'm not willing to accept unacceptable behavior. And I coach a lot of my clients on that too, um, with setting behavior, uh, setting boundaries with their kids. And reminding these kids, they need to know how much they are loved. A lot of kids grow up, just so happens that we tend to send the message that it's conditional. The love that we give is conditional. If you get all A's, I'll love you. If you eat your dinner, I'll love you. If you um, act right, I'll love you. If you are quiet, I'll love you. If you stop crying, I'll love you. (laughs) All these things. And that starts as toddlers, moves into, you know, teenagers, uh, childhood, teenager, um, even young adults. If you get a good job and you, you don't have to call me for money, I'll love you. If you uh, date the right person, I'll love you. If you you get the idea, if you dress right, if you wear the right things, if you fix your hair right, I'll love you. But no, it. We then we raise kids who become adults and parents who then raise their kids like that. And we've got to get back to an unconditional love society. Um, and I know we can do it, you and me and all of it. We we can get back to saying that is bad behavior. I don't like that behavior, but I love you. And I've I've told people that before, just even point blank. I'm like, listen, I love you. I hate that behavior. No way. So you don't even have to get all wordy. I, I am not willing to accept unacceptable behavior. If that feels like a mouthful and feels too, like my therapist told me to say this, fine you know, I love you. I hate that behavior. That's so powerful. It's like, oh yes, that's right. Mom loves me or dad loves me or spouse loves me, but that's bad behavior. That's right. Cause I can change my behavior, but I can't 
change the essence of me. Like if you hate me, then I'm just bad or, or whatever. But but if they hear you and you're always reassuring that you love them, it's very powerful. So um, for me, that's unreasonable. That's, in other words, that's what he says when you're loving unreasonably. You're loving relentlessly. You're loving furiously. You're loving fearlessly. Like, I'm going to love you no matter what your bad behavior. I love you. But that's bad behavior. So um, hopefully you don't have a lot of that. Hopefully people start having better behavior. But if you are struggling with anyone in your life that has bad behavior, that can also help you deal with guilt. Um, Two of the worst things we deal with in our society is fear and guilt, fear and guilt, fear and guilt. That holds us back more than those two things hold us back more than I I would dare to say almost anything else. Fear and guilt. Um, Those are two of the worst feelings. Those are two of the worst things. Those keep us in sickness and dis-ease and loneliness. And they keep us um, distracted. They keep us so sick. So they keep us in poverty. Those those fear and guilt, those are the worst. And a lot of people believe, and there's been plenty of science to say, to prove that guilt and shame and um, bitterness and a lot of that anger and stuff, all that guilt, all that kind of icky stuff is what causes tumors and cancer and all kinds of bad dis-ease. So fear and guilt, yucky, yucky. Uh, We want to let that go. I say that because if you're able to say to the person, I love you, but I don't like that behavior, that helps you also, if you're setting a boundary that way, that helps you feel not feel guilty because you don't because we know we're not supposed to hate people. We're not supposed to just not like people like we're supposed to love everyone. We're called to love people so I can love that person and not like that behavior or agree with that behavior um, and still be able to love them unconditionally and that's very powerful for yourself as well that way you don't get caught up in guilt and shame oh I'm so embarrassed I hate that person so much I know I shouldn't hate that person or whatever um but it gives you a lot of freedom in that so that's a very powerful statement and he and um each of us is surrounded by neighbors every day every place we do every place we go so we're all always somebody's neighbor even if it's not your actual next door neighbor where you live but your neighbors are at the gym with you they are at the dog park with you they are at the grocery store with you you have neighbors on the bus you have neighbors on the road when you're driving you know you're driving next to neighbors it's like be nice to your neighbors on the road you're driving a uh a machine that could kill someone I mean and and road rage is a thing it's a real thing and uh, being careful of that is important as well what often often stops us from loving our neighbors is the fear of what will happen if we do and it's kind of what I was talking about earlier fear and guilt the fear of being rejected the fear of being seen the fear of being um when he said earlier, flawlessly, loving flawlessly, like the, the fear of being flawed, like, oh, well, you loved me, but you didn't quite do it right. So getting it wrong, but you kind of can't get it all the way wrong. Like at least you tried if you're giving it your best, but a lot of that fear holds us back. Well, what if I do it wrong? What if he rejects me? What if, what if she doesn't like that? What if, and it's all those what ifs hold us back. He, he talks about, um, just, 
you know, loving everybody. He he talks about Carol and how much he loved her and throwing her a parade and all of that stuff. And even um, just so many other, you know, little stories about loving people and loving his neighbors. So, okay, moving on to the yellow truck. This one is probably a story we can all relate to because all of us have a mom and a dad and that looks different for all of us some people um some people's mom and dad aren't still living or it was a very sad um story or it was a hard story or whatever it was but we all do have a mom and a dad so um and if and if say they weren't living, you had somebody as a guardian or someone as a coach or a guide. And he talks about his dad here. The main thing is he had this yellow truck and the dad, his dad would always just say, you'll want to check the oil <laughs> before he would leave. And so it was this nagging thing. You'll want to check the oil. And I think there's a way we can communicate to people that we love without being nagging, without being um, condescending, without being, mm, I think those are the main two, (laughs) nagging and condescending. Don't tell people what they want. You'll want to check the oil. You'll want to get a degree from such and such. You'll want to apply here. You'll want to get a job. You'll want to hang out with them. You'll want to stay, you'll want to do You want to take your vitamins. You'll want to stay out of all these. You'll want to. Don't tell them what they want. Tell them who they are. This is so powerful. And he gets to this later. I can't wait to tell you um, a very powerful way he used this. But um, faith or compliance kind of thing. What are we wanting from this person? <laughs> what What is God getting from us? Like God wants us to have faith in him and be with him. So he, he told people in the Bible who they were. He told Moses he was a leader. He told Noah he was a sailor. He told um, Sarah she was a mother. And, and there's lots more examples. I don't have as much time right now to go over all of them. But uh, tell people... Telling people what they, excuse me, telling people what to do versus control helps them find new ways to be dumb. <laughs> Is And when I said versus, I, I read that wrong, actually. Let me read this again. Telling people what to do or controlling them, in other words, in other words, controlling them, telling them what to do. You need to play this sport. You need to date this person. You need to take this test, controlling them, telling them what to do, helps them find new ways to be dumb. In other words, that's the way they're rebelling against you. So what he did was he drove the yellow truck. And do you think he ever checked the oil? No, (laughs) he never checked the oil because his dad was always saying, you'll want to check the oil, which was so annoying to him that he never checked the oil instead of speaking life over him. Like you're you take good care of things or you're a great, you're smart person who takes great care of, of the truck that you're driving, or I trust you completely to take good care of this car, whatever it is. But, uh, it really using that language is so different when you're trying to do things that control 
other it doesn't have to just be your kids, by the way, but it can be your spouse, your friend, uh, siblings. Siblings are a big one. You know, it's like we sometimes find this person and we tend to accidentally give them a lot of unwarranted advice. And I've, I've been guilty of that for sure. Um, he talks about his... He talks a little bit more about the truck and it ended up getting stolen by, um, by a homeless person that was staying in it every day. And then he one day just trashed the truck and he ran away, never saw the guy again because shame makes us run away. So that is true. That's something I just wanted to point out really quickly. Um, that often when we're running away from things, like think of why you're running away. Is it a shame thing? And that's another thing I talked about earlier was that fear and guilt. And sometimes guilt goes along with shame. It's not always the same as shame. It's different, but it does sometimes go hand in hand. So uh, shame does make us hide. Some It does make us run away. It makes us silent. So think about those things. Of course, he forgave the guy. Uh, but anyway, Make sure you're running back to God, not from him. So if there's something you're ashamed of or something that you feel like you want to um, run away from God about, what I've learned before is that sin just means separation or it means like missing the mark or separation, right? So you're like missing the mark. You're separated from the target. You're, you're not on target and when you're not on target, it's like, how can we get back to that sin separates us from God? Okay. Then we feel guilty for the sin and then we're further away from God, but to repent, like to confess the sin and then repent and say, you're sorry and go back to God and talk to him about it. That's a better way. It's the prodigal son going back to the father. Okay. We got to move on. We got to move on. This is going to be so long. If I don't hurry up the limo driver, he talks about going to, um, he flies a lot. He's always out of town. He has to take limos or cabs or whatever. So he was in Florida and he was going to Disney and he rode with this limo driver. Well, it comes to find out that the limo driver was about to retire. <laughs> so Bob was like, well, you're about to retire. Oh my gosh. Then I need to drive this thing. You need to get in the back. I need to take you for your last drive. Have you ever been for a ride in a limo? And so he puts him in the back. He's so excited. They're having a ball. Who knows? The limo driver might've thought he was crazy, but either way, he was like, you can't get fired. You're about to be, you're about to retire. Like who cares? Let's do it. And he always carries like balloons with him or medals with him or little, uh, stickers, name tags, all kinds. I mean, this guy, Bob, he is a riot. He's so funny. And he, at the end, then he gives him this big medal and tells him he's the best limo driver in the whole world. And, um, he is just so cute. Like, how are you representing God's kingdom? Is it, is it huge? Is it big? Is it, is it amazing? He says, let's see, how does he say this? How are we representing God's kingdom? Don't build a castle when you can be build a kingdom. We are advancing the kingdom of God. We're not just members of the kingdom of God. We're advancing the kingdom of God and we're building this whole kingdom. 
we want to be kingdom minded, building this big thing, not just one little castle, like a castle he describes as idols, basically jobs, families, things. Um, but when we're building a whole sort of kingdom mindset, like you're loving everybody and, um, you're speaking truth and affirmation upon them. You're speaking truth over their life. You're, you're smiling at them with a real smile. He says, people don't grow where they are informed. They grow where they are loved and accepted. I want people to meet you and me and feel like they've just met everyone in heaven. Bring heaven to earth, basically, like it says in Matthew. So on earth as it is in heaven. And I thought that is so profound. I want people to meet you and me. Bob's saying this. I want people to meet you and me and feel like they've just met everyone in heaven. Building a whole kingdom mindset. Isn't that so sweet? Not just met an angel, but like, I want to feel like they've just met everyone in heaven. (laughs) I loved that. It was definitely big. It felt profound when he said that. Skydiving. That's our next topic, our next story. He tells a quick story about um, his son, who his name is Adam, and he decides he wants to go skydiving and he's learning how to skydive he's doing all this bob decides to go skydiving with him and he surprises him he goes and takes lessons and he surprises him and he just jumps out of the plane with the sun he shows up and he goes up in the plane and jumps out of the plane with him it's just so exciting and that just shows he seems to be a really great dad just always wants to be with the kids and that's what God did when he sent us Jesus, his son, and he said, he named him, he called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I love that. It's just like, how can you be with someone? Look at them in the eyes, turn off your phone, um, really be present with that person and not always doing what you want to do, but maybe you have to go skydiving with people sometimes. Like that's what his kid wanted to do. And Bob, he didn't want to go skydiving, but he jumped out of a plane with him because Knowing people doesn't mean you're with them. Knowing them isn't enough. Sometimes it's being present with them. Don't try to teach them, he says. You don't need a plan. Just show up, grab a parachute, and jump. So cute. Okay, now the next story. He talks of um, a day at the museum. He goes to a wax museum. He talks about going to like every wax museum in the whole world or something. I mean, this guy goes to like every wax museum. I guess they're it's a certain type of wax museum and he's gone to all of them or something. Anyway, pretty amazing. He goes and he's with his kids. Well, he sounds like a total ham, like real funny guy, jokester kind of guy. And he, he is, he, they all look very real. If you've ever been to a wax museum, they look so real. So he's going up and he stands real still. And these two old ladies start walking up and they're like, even poking him. They're like, Oh my gosh, he looks so real. One even poked him supposedly in the face, like actually touched him. She was like, I can't believe it. This is crazy. And he said he knew he didn't want them to, you know, have a heart attack and sue him. So he had to just be really still. But once they got far enough away, he kind of walked out and he, uh, he, let them know and they were like oh wow but he said his kids were like shrunk back and went to the other room they were so embarrassed so he said after all of that that was his way of saying I realize I'm a really good poser and um 
you know, I'm a good wax man. I'm a good fake. I'm a good poser. And it's like, wow, that hit me. Probably I am too. I'm a good poser on certain things. Probably you are too. There's certain things that you're really good at faking. You're really good at posing to be really good at that. And um, all that to say about your faith, like God sees the real you. It doesn't matter what our faith looks like, what you're posing to look like, what it looks like, oh, I have a great relationship with God, but it matters what it is. God is looking at the truth of you. God is looking at not how good of a wax man you are, but God is looking at your truth, your real faith. Uh, he talks about the story from the Bible of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold all their land and gave it all away. And that's what they said they were going to do all leading up to it. They're going to sell their land and give it all back to God. Well, they said they gave it all away. They they said they did. And then they dropped dead. So it's like, okay. Peter even said in the Bible, said, you have not lied to just human beings, but to God. How often do we do that? You know, we, we forget that we're, when we lie or when we fake something or when we hurt someone or when we sin, we're not just sinning against other human beings. We're sinning against God. We're lying to God. We are um, really being, you know, it, it's hurting no one but ourselves, but it's God knows everything we do. Trade the appearance of being close to God for the power of being close to God. I mean, how good is that? What a great one-liner. If you ever feel like you're faking it or you're lying or you're doing something just to please others, it's like, no, I'm going to trade this appearance for being close to God, of being close to God, for the power of being close to God. What if I really was close to God? What if I really did try um, to give this relationship a go and really see what the power of God is? Um in Ephesians, I think it says, I am fully, well, let me think of it in a second. I'll get back to you on that. But it, it's being fully empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. It's more than we could ask or imagine. We have the power of God. Let me think of the exact Bible verse. Um, quit taking, talking, excuse me, quit talking a big game and go live a big faith. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I love that so powerful next story the pizza place what we've spent our time collecting might not be worth it so he talks about going to the pizza place which he gives this long story and all the details and finally the 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 kicker is that it's Chuck E. Cheese (laughs) so he's get playing all these games and turning in winning all these tickets and at the end, all he gets is a pencil. And he talks about how we do that in life. We work and we toil and we hustle and we fuss and we do all of this. And often, often it's just for like a little pencil. I mean, it's for nothing sometimes. It's like, wow, I did all of that for, for what? And it depends on where your heart is for sure. I think that you can get lost in the journey of things and and if it was a great journey and you gave it your best and you did it with a great like the right attitude fine then it's not the destination but in other words sometimes we do get a little bit lost in um in the pursuit 
of what we want and then we get what we want and it actually seems like it's just a pencil like we just worked that hard got that many tickets for what <laughs> for what I thought I wanted and anyway people who are becoming love stop collecting tickets I thought that was really cute we we go all in all the time every day because we don't have yesterday anymore I'm not collecting tickets for tomorrow. Like all I have is now. I don't need, tomorrow's not here yet. So, and yesterday's gone. All I have is today. Can I live a big, big, full, faith-filled life today? Um, and what does that look like? So bright lights don't need spotlights. I think that is so good. Every day, if you're being this bright light and you're turning on other lights, you're turning on just one candle at a time. Like a candle doesn't lose its light by lighting another candle. It, it doesn't need, it doesn't take anything away from you, but you also don't need this spotlight. When you sometimes accidentally overstate the good you do, make sure to check yourself confess it to God, make sure you're doing this for the glory of God. Don't try to quantify how much uh, you love God. He, he, it's okay. He needs your heart, not your help. Like he doesn't need you to quantify it or remind him or, or tell him or take, you know, like I did, I got this many tickets because I did this many things and I made this many. No, our lives will never be about Jesus. If we keep making everything about us, how hard I worked, how many tickets I got, how many games I played, how many, uh, you know, whack-a-moles I won. Like it, if everything's about you and what you've done, it was never then about Jesus. So keep your eyes back on Jesus, what you're doing for Christ. We don't need to call everything ministry. And this was really important to me because I come from uh, Texas and I was in Dallas a lot of my life. But then we moved out to East Texas, which is the Bible Belt. And um, everything out there is it's a lot more... Um, which is not bad, by the way. It's great and it, it's wonderful, but um, it's very evangelistic, evangelizing or ev evangelistic, evangelical, <laughs> however you say that. And I feel like it was very much like ministry minded, which is good in a way, but I loved that when he said this, it made so much sense. You don't have to call everything you do your ministry. Imagine coming home and saying to your husband, honey, I mentioned your name 45 times today. I, I, you know, I had my ministry today. I did my work, which is my ministry. And I don't mean to make fun because I still do believe that actually my work is my ministry. It's just that I don't have to call it that. He's saying, you don't have to call it your ministry. Of course it's your ministry, but you don't have to call it that. You can just call it Tuesday. You can just call it work. Like this is my passion. This is my work. And I love that because it did of course in my heart, it is my ministry and I'm loving my clients and I'm loving my, um, friends and I love the people who come to my classes. I love that. And I do feel like it's a ministry of love and it's a ministry of God's love and healing, but I don't really have to call it that. I can just call it a Tuesday. I thought that was just really a great reminder for me when I'm tempted to boast, when you're tempted to boast, remind yourself and I'll remind myself. It's not about me. When, when, um, you bless a meal, 
Make sure it's a wonderful selfless act. Whenever you're giving a toast, make sure it's a wonderful selfless act. It's not about you and and all of that. Just um, glorify God in the words you speak and make sure it's from a a loving place. And you can always check yourself and um, honestly say that you are doing that. Okay, the next story is from the lighthouse window. Everyone, uh, not everyone, he talks about as kids, he went to a school where they did some music. And maybe you went to a school that you did that too. Not everyone had the opportunity to play a musical instrument as a kid. I did. I was in band also for, I think, one year or two years. And I played the flute. And um, you you have to learn the fl- you know, learn your song. And then you might have to play it for um, at least for finding out what chair you're in or whatever. So he did this. He learned piano and then he had to go out and uh play this song it's called from the lighthouse window which is why the name of the story is called that well he he went out to play this song and someone went ahead of him greg is his name and he played it absolutely perfectly so from then, he just kind of plunked his head on the piano and he gave up. He quit and he just couldn't even play. He was so uh, embarrassed. And also, it was that com- competition. You know, he Greg outplayed him and he was just so embarrassed that he just didn't even try. Well, years later when he was in college, he <coughs> lived across the music from the music building. He walked in and played it perfectly. No audience, no spotlights, of course. And it's like, wow. When the pressure's on, sometimes we do miss a few notes. And if you do miss a few notes, just keep moving on. Everyone hits a couple of wrong notes. Just keep playing your song. Don't be so scared. There it is again. Those two things we talked about earlier, fear and guilt. But there's that fear. It's like fear of being seen, fear of the audience, fear of the spotlight. Are you doing recitals or improv jazz? It's like, okay, a recital, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of, am I going to get... a standing ovation or am I going to get booed or whatever. So improv jazz can be a little bit more fun. Um, People aren't expecting perfection. Those stages, those platforms, those audiences can change us. So they're not inherently bad. Of course not a stage and audience. Those things are not bad, but we can end up playing to the wrong audience. So beware of that. Who are you playing for? Make sure you're uh, just just playing for um, Jesus alone or just loving people, praying, playing improv jazz, loving people the way Jesus did is always great theology. So if you're just loving unconditionally, you're not trying to get something from the person or anything like that, just uh, that's always going to help you. That's going to be the right audience always. Jesus said, her name. Do you remember the story of Mary and Martha, the two sisters? So when she came in and she was mad because Martha was washing his feet and being, um, being present with him and Mary was working, he said her name, Mary. So people aren't, aren't, uh, he didn't have to say anything else. He called her by her name. It's like, if you don't know their name, don't say anything but in other words like he he spoke truth to her like Mary (laughs) and I just love that because sometimes we do need to be called out just by name like that's all we have to even be 
God sometimes will call us by our name and we know his voice and we know it's like, okay, I am who I need to come back to myself. I need to come back to who I am. What am I doing? What is the purpose of me playing to this audience? Come back to myself, come back to my roots, come back to my truth. Uh, People aren't, let me see, let me read this right. People aren't projects, they're people. Don't give advice, just say their names. Speak jazz into their lives if they make a mistake or if if they just need love. So anyway, I think that's great advice, great place to stop on that one. Um, three green lights, that's our next story. He flies also, he's a pilot and um, he has to do a lot of He has to take a lot of flights for all these meetings he's in. Um, So he takes a lot of flights, but then some of the short places that he can just pop over in 30 minutes, he likes to fly himself. So he was flying. He had just come home from a late night, and it was dark. So the air traffic control man, he was coming in, and he only got two lights, which mean my two back Uh, landing gear is down, but my front wheel, he didn't get the light for confirmation like that. The front wheel is down. So he's like, oh my gosh, emergency. I don't think I have landing gear. My landing gear isn't down. He drove by and the, because it was dark, the air traffic control man was like, well, I can't see it. And he was like, uh, what do you like? What, (laughs) what do you mean? You don't see it. He drives, uh, drives, he flies around again. And the guy's like, sorry, I don't see it. Are you declaring an emergency? He's like, I just declared an emergency in my pants five minutes ago. (laughs) So I am definitely freaking out, right? He's freaking the freak out and he doesn't know what to do. He goes to, goes ahead and like lands it. I mean, you're either going to run out of fuel circling the air tower, or you're going to try to land this thing. So he tried to, he went ahead and landed it. Um, ends up ends up being fine (laughs) he had the landing gear it was that the nickel the five cent green light was out so all that stress all that long time he was tired he was stressed he circled and circled and circled for minutes I mean probably 30 minutes it's like oh my gosh we don't need as much confirmation as we think we do sometimes God only gives us two green lights. He's like, Hey, I give you, I give you this green light and this green light and you want three green lights, but you're not getting it. I want to see that maybe, I don't know what God thinks, right? But maybe it's our opportunity to go ahead and land the plane and see if we trust, check in with our faith. How much faith do we have to go ahead and land this thing? And anyway, um, he does give us the green lights that he wants to give us, at the time he wants to give it to us, give them to us, um, which is also hard. Trusting God's timing is really hard, but we do have to trust God's timing and uh, trust God's timing with people in our lives, with situations in our lives, with all kinds of things like that. We we can go ahead and just bank on the green lights we have and land our plane. All opportunities come with expiration dates. I love that. Opportunities come and go, and 
sometimes you miss your chance. And a lot of people say YOLO, right? You only live once. Or some people say, um, some people believe like this might, this inspiration or opportunity might come to you. And if you don't take it, that inspiration or opportunity might go to someone else. And it's like, but that was my opportunity. That was my chance. Well, sorry, but you didn't act. And remember, we only have now. We do not have yesterday. We do not have tomorrow. How can you live so big and so free today? And we're talking in every way, the way you love, the way you live, the way you treat yourself, the way you treat others. We only have today. The next story is last one, best one. He talks about, it's a very, it's, I'm going to give you the short story because otherwise we'll be here for two hours. Bob started going blind in one of his eyes and he gives the whole story about trying to get it fixed. He goes through all these surgeries and what happened and everything. Well, he meets this guy who actually has the same problem that he does and he is blind in both eyes. So he's part of the special Olympics. This guy Bob meets, he's so fast. He's an amazing runner, excuse me, he's an amazing runner, does track and field, and this is how he runs. He has a friend in front, oh, he he not only just runs fast, by the way, he does this long jump. Let me read this and make sure. Is it actually long jump? Yeah, it is. This is how he does it. This gave me chills. He has a friend whose voice he knows he can trust. Isn't that good? It's like we have a friend in Jesus and we know we can trust his voice. And Lex is the name of this guy. He had um, 10 failed surgeries by the time he was eight years old. So he's been blind for a long time. And he is, like I said, track and field star. He runs as fast as he can. And when he hears his friend's voice saying, fly, 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 he jumps and, um, that's how he does the long jump. So anyway, um, we're all a little blind. Sometimes we're all wander off course. Sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, what happens next makes all the difference. Lex was running. He did his jump. He got off by just a touch. Remember we've talked about this before. Well, maybe we haven't, I haven't with you particularly, but, um, I have in some of my other book reviews, and uh, if you've heard me say this, here we go again, but it's like even going, if you were on a ship and you were going to another country, you could just change your degree by just a tiny bit, change your course by just a degree or two and land in a whole nother country. I mean, it's crazy. Just a little off course can take you to a whole new place. So just remember that even in your walk, today with what you're doing like you might be off just a little bit but it might be off a lot in the big picture so stay on track today to the t stay on track because that is going to be good for you yes of course we get off track sometimes like he said it's what happens next is all the difference this guy was off by just a touch heard his friend say fly he jumped and he landed on the concrete totally missed the whole thing but he, his friend rushed over to him. He was all scraped up, ripped his clothes and everything. And he was like, let's get up. Medical took him back, cleaned him up, gave him a new outfit and everything, uh, uniform, excuse me. And he went out and he did it again. He won the whole Olympics, the whole thing, the whole 
competition. So that's what happens. Yes, we're going to get off track. Yes, of course we are. Like when you recognize it, get back on track. But if you fall and scrape up and everything, go to medical, get cleaned up, get a new uniform on and give it your best shot again. Get back on track. I just love that. It's the attitude of a champion versus the attitude of a victim, the attitude of defeat. And that goes back to um, the empowerment dynamic that we talked about uh, a few months ago. So Remember your attitude of a champion being a a creator rather than a victim. Last one, best one, having that great attitude. Like he went on and he went, won the whole thing because he said, his friend said to him, last one, best one. And he got back out there and did it. You can trust Jesus's voice. Just like I just said a few minutes ago, you can always do that. So when it sounds like, um, when it sounds like he's talking to you, you know, you can trust him. You know, you can run as fast as you can and jump when it's time. So trust and believe. He says, run big and jump far. Oh, love that. Okay. Three minutes at a time. That's our next story. He talks about meeting this friend three minutes at a time. I told you he's at the airport a lot. So, going through customs or and or just going through security he meets this guy who his name is adrian and he's so he's a little bitty tiny guy and he meets him and three minutes at a time he sees him several times a week but only three minutes he knows everything about him his wife he's always asking about his wife about his kids how are your parents you know and he's just bob seems like such a friendly guy um he is Let's see. Let me tell you about this guy. He ends up just dying. He gets a call and his wife calls Bob and is like, Adrian died. Like what? Y'all just, what do you mean he died? He just dropped dead. And it's like, we don't know when we are going to lose our friends. So taking things for, not taking things for granted, really recognizing that this could be the last time I ever see this person. Um, I had a talk with my mom a couple of weeks ago and we, we talked about that because I saw it was like a meme on Instagram or something. It said, Ooh, this really hit me when that you will have a last time to talk with everyone you know, like there will always, there will be a last time you talk to everybody, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it really hit me. And I told my mom that cause we were getting into a heated discussion, not a fight, but you know, almost we used to fight a lot, but we've come a long way <laughs> and it was kind of getting heated and we've been doing a really good job of trying to be respectful and not have some of those kind of blow ups anymore or like fights, but more just heated discussions. Yes, we can discuss, but it was sort of starting to get like that. And I had to get off the phone and I said, mom, I've got to go. You know, I'm at my appointment. I've got to run off the phone, but listen, I am sorry. And I want us to get off the phone in a good way. I want you to know, I love you. I know you love me too. And we were both able to quickly say, I'm sorry. I love you. Because I said, you never know when this is the last time I'll talk to you. I don't want, what if this could be the last time I talk to you? And it was powerful because it was like a quick redirect. We were able to go, okay, you're right. Quickly get back on track. Um, you know, and obviously my mom and I, have more than just a three minute at a time converse, uh, relationship that he had with Adrian, but 
He didn't know when the last time he was going to see Adrian was. He was supposed to see him the next time he went. He he was supposed to see, like, Adrian was building a house. He had all these dreams. He was catching him up. Oh, my gosh, the house is almost done. And all of a sudden, Adrian's wife calls and he's gone. It's just like, wow. And he says, maybe, maybe in in the line to heaven, a guy like Adrian will be asking whether they found their identity in Jesus and if they really were who they said they were. So um, he said he was really sweet guy, loving guy and everything. And you never know who's going to be greeting us at the, the pearly gates. Is it going to be a guy like Adrian? Probably someone so sweet, so fun. But in the, in the earthly world too, I think it's two type of uh, lessons we get here is we never know when we're going to lose our friend Adrian. And uh, we hope that somebody will be greeting us as sweet as Adrian when it comes to be our time. Carl's Dive, another sad story. Um, Carl was, if I remember right, he was everything you can imagine. You know, the star of the football team, popular, tall, handsome, whatever. All the good things, charming. Showing off in front of the ladies, went after school one day and jumped off of this cliff into the water well it ended up only being very shallow water so he was paralyzed and is paralyzed and he goes on to help kids and stuff like that but the the moral of the story is to remember that where your head goes your body follows and what that reminds me of is that where our attention goes our energy flows so where is your head what are you thinking about where where is what's the direction your life is going right now because if it's not where you want to go you got to change now because it could end bad for you remember his body followed his head where we turn our heads is where we'll land with our lives it can be a great dive or a big disaster be careful where your mind dwells dwells um he calls the shallow waters Things like relationships, um, shallow relationships, in other words. It, uh, be careful if your mind is dwelling in shallow relationships, in shallow business dealings, in shallow validation, in shallow uh, popular beliefs or popular um, uh, trends rather than eternal trends like eternal things of God internal things uh, we're not held back by what we don't have but why we but what we don't use so think about that like if you're not thinking about things that are eternal you're not thinking about things that are um, God and of of a higher purpose it's like you're not using your higher higher faculties you're not really expanding getting into full expression of your own self you're not really taking your life to where it could go you're staying really shallow and so you're not held back by what you don't have you're held back by what you don't use I love that so much it just spoke so much to me it's just like yeah there's a lot of potential in me that maybe I'm not using I need to tap into all of that potential go into um who was it recently I heard on some podcast uh, Dr. Tama, I I think was her name. You're too gifted to be bored. Oh, isn't that good? Oh, I love that one. That one's just so good. <laughs> uh, so anyway, 
make sure you're not in the shallow waters. Make sure you're in the deep, deep love of Jesus. And if you haven't heard that song, I love that song. Check it out. Okay. Another plane story. Land the plane. Not about the green lights this time, but actually about his son. He is such a great dad. He has this son. I think it was Adam again, actually. Adam made it into the book again. And he was senior year. He's like, okay, Adam, let me see your senior uh, class list. And he's like, oh, dad. Goes and slowly hands him over the schedule. And he's like, dude, these are like, you have, you're cleaning erasers, first period. You're cleaning dry erase board, second period. You have art, third period. You have free time, study, you know, study at fourth period. Like, in other words, you have no, you have barely, I mean, like, really, this? So they take out all the fluff. They give him just his last uh, the classes that he has to take, those essential classes, and he gets out every day at 11.20, and he goes and goes to pilot school. How awesome. They have this house in, I think it's Montana, Minnesota? Oh, Montana, I think. And um, they get to go up there. They have this house, but it's way out. Like, there's nothing around it. And except land and trees, and they have to even fly this little, he has this little beaver plane. It's called a beaver, I think. And he flies it in there. So Adam ended up going to school, graduating with his, with his high school diploma and a pilot's license with his seaplane uh, landing or seaplane rating. So, <coughs> excuse me. I thought that was just so cool. He takes the plane over the lake and he's like, okay, school's out. So you graduated and we're going to Minnesota or what did I tell you? Montana for the summer. And they're going to, we're going to take the beaver and he gets out and Bob, he goes, you know what? Let's land in the plate, land in the lake today. And Adam's like, what? And he's like, we're doing it. So he lands in the lake and it's this short lake where you have to start way at the back find your perfect speed to where you're not going to get stuck in the water, but you'll be able to miss the tree. So it's a very short, um, pathway to, to get out of it. So he goes, and you're going to get us out of here. So he land, Bob lands, takes his belt off and he's like, or, well, I guess they don't have to switch seats. I guess co-pilot. I don't know. I don't know how that all works, <laughs> but anyway, he's like, okay, Adam, you're going to get us out of here. And I think that is just so cute because he challenged him to land, I mean, he challenged him to get out of there. And and at that moment, he did not give him any more words. He goes, at this time, we don't need more words or, you know, what the words mean in Greek and Hebrew and breaking it down and giving analogies. No, 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 no. We just need an opportunity. At this point, we don't need more words. We just need an opportunity. And what a great father. What a great dad. God does this for us too. And Bob was able to be the type of father that God is to us. And he he just doesn't, he, God doesn't always take us to easy or safe places. Like he doesn't take us the easy route sometimes. Sometimes he takes us 
to the one that will make us grow. And that's so powerful. We don't need more instructions at this point. We don't need more words. We don't need to know what the words mean. We just need someone who believes in us. I love that. I've spoken to friends before and it's like, what did you need in that moment? I just needed someone to believe in me. And so I found that sometimes when I'm praying for people or when I'm praying with people or when I'm talking to people, sometimes you know, prayer is just so powerful. Sometimes it's just in the, in the silence of my own heart. And I'm just saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. Or I tell them, I believe in you. If it's someone I can speak to freely like that. Um, belief is huge, but Bob didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say, I believe in you. He, He didn't, he said it with his actions. And that was so much more powerful than his words. He took him in there and he knew he could get out. And of course, Adam got out. Um, There was something I was going to tell you. Go land the plane. Well, darn, it was... Um, I'll, I'll try to remember. I thought I had it maybe written down, but I don't see it. Um, the, <clears throat> the thing I was trying to remember, I don't have it written down, but is... Uh, he said sometimes prayers are... What does he say? Prayers are unspoken <laughs> because when Adam put his hands on the plane, I mean, put the hands on the wheel, that's all he did. He did an action and Bob said, amen. <laughs> I just thought that was so cute. I was like, oh my gosh, that is just so cute. Cause how true is that? Sometimes a prayer is not even spoken. It's just the act of faith and praise um, well, praise activates faith is what I was going to say, but that's not what I meant to say. Faith is an action of taking a step out, taking a leap of faith. Sometimes it's the act of doing something. And so when, when Adam put his hands on the steering wheel, man, it was, that was his prayer of like faith. Okay. I got this. And, and Bob's like, amen. So, okay. Our next story is about Walter, a welcome from Walter. What we do with our love will become the conversation we have with God. What we do with our love will become the conversation we have with God. So Walter is a former uh, refugee from Uganda. And so what he does now with a lot of his time is he goes and greets people that are refugees from Uganda that are coming in and, um, that were being, you know, they, they escaped for their lives. They were being shot at or trying to be killed or anything like that. So he goes and helps them. Sometimes we delay, we tarry, we delay because why we're waiting for a plan. So God doesn't want us to wait for a plan. Sometimes he wants us to do what I was just referring to with Adam is just put your hands on the wheel. Like take us. Okay, listen, I'm going to put my hands on the wheel. I'm going to put my toe in. I'm going to step. Isn't that how the Israelites, when they were escaping Egypt, I might have this wrong, but didn't they have to put their foot in first and then the waters parted or the Jordan river, right? Or was it the with Moses, was it the whole Red Sea? They had to actually step one foot in. I think it was the Jordan River, something like that. There is a story about this. Please text me and remind me what it is. But um, 
But I know that you had to make an act first. Like you had to act first. The Israelites had to put a foot in first and then the waters parted. Do I have that right? Text me. Give me a reference too. I, I need a reminder on that. People, uh, I already said that. Okay, Jesus made it simple. He said that his plan for us is to love him and find people who are hungry, thirsty, naked, creepy, strangers, sick, prison, uh, enemies, and go love them as if they were him. Jesus comes to us in all different shapes and forms. And he talks about Walter loving people no matter who they were and how they were. And he he's just so good about um, these refugees and taking it. And, and Bob is really inspired by this Walter. I think there was something else I was going to tell you about that. Let me pull up this chapter. Yes. It says, <clears throat> if you're reading along in the book, it's on page 145. But, um, He said if we wanted to do something nice for God, we'd do it for his kids. Like, for God's kids. Like, if you don't want to do something nice for that person, remember it's someone's kid. In fact, I was, uh, recently, a couple weeks ago, I ended up, some of you might know, I'm a personal trainer, life coach, I teach group fitness, I do, and I have this lymphatic business, so I have, uh, a lot of clients, lymphatic enhancement technology. I see these clients for all kinds of little things. Well, this client that I've been working with in personal training and lymphatic enhancement technology, I it it's called LET, lymphatic enhancement technology. I have been doing LET and PT, personal training, with her for a long, long time now. Go figure that her mom and I are in the same group this women's group that we meet every three months, we've known each other for over three years and we meet together every three months and we're in this like think tank together. Anyway, it just so happens we ended up, I said, oh my gosh, yeah, I love her. I saw them on her, I saw she had posted something on her Instagram and I was like, oh, I love her. And she's like, what, how do you know my mom? I'm like, that's your mom. And it just resonated so much because this book was like, oh my gosh, if you don't want to do someone or love someone or care some, be nice to someone, like remember that's someone's kid, that's someone's child. Well, it made me realize that actually the reverse is true too. If you don't want to be nice to someone or you're being kind of ugly to somebody, say at the grocery store or the airport or you're being sassy or whatever, remember that's someone's mom. I tell you, I've never been so thankful that this mom and I are on great terms and she's darling and I love her and I've hung out with her, not in a very close way, obviously. And she talks about her daughters, but she says, oh, my daughter's this or this. And the mom, the daughter says, oh yeah, my mom, this or this, but we've never talked about, well, what is your mom's name? Where does she live? You know, I didn't know. How would I know? So funny. And I'm like, well, I'm glad I've always been really nice to her. It was a good confirmation. Like you need to be nice to everyone. That's someone's mom. And even if you don't meet someone, what Bob is saying, even if you don't meet them and find out later, whatever, but then what Bob's saying here is on a much higher level, if you wouldn't do it for that person because it's someone's kid, like it's God's kid, it's God's child. Wow. God created him. So 
it says, even when we don't, or he said, if we wanted to do something nice for God, we'd do it for his kids. And we don't need to make a big deal out of it either. He'll find out. Good fathers do. Isn't that sweet? All right. I wanted to make sure I told you that part too, because I thought it was cute. Okay. What grace costs. We're probably about, I know we're at a, a minute, I mean, an hour and 12 minutes. We're about 10 minutes, 15 minutes out. What grace costs. Bob talks about getting these calls from prison. He gives his, he puts his number in the back of all of his books. So millions and millions of people have had his number and call him, I guess. And he, he actually tries really hard to answer the phone. So I think that is interesting. That's not necessarily my way, but I think it's really nice. And I've seen that on some people. They're like, oh, just text me. Like, I would love to talk. And yes, I think that's nice. But he says he actually tries to answer a lot, which I'm just thinking, like, how does that work when all these people are trying to call you in the middle of meetings or whatever? But he's like, that's the point to try to be available. A lot of these people, they're so desperate. They'll call some guy they don't know. Like, they need, they need someone that's going to answer the call. So he says, grace doesn't cost as much as I thought it did. It's just a $9.95 call from, pres- from prison. <laughs> Sometimes he gets these calls and they're like, you're getting a call from so-and-so. It'll be nine ninety five. Press 5 if you'd like to take the call. And he says he takes it. Anyway, it's just so funny, but. He talks about answering all these calls and everything like that. And then just remember that what you're doing, like, are you the victim or are you the hero of your story? The problem is that if you're the victim or you're the hero of your story, either way, it takes the focus off of Jesus. He talks about being in a play and that he was just tree number four. I think it was Peter Pan or something. He had to be that his, he was cast tree number four. In other words, he was just there. And that's how we should be in, in the story of our life, in the, the play of our life. Like, yeah, you're the victim or you're the hero. It's like, don't, everyone's the hero of his own story or whatever. Well, are we, maybe we should give more glory to God. And, um, I really like that a lot. So we're just a participant. We're just a lover. That's all. And being present with people, taking people's calls, um, he gives a few really funny stories of calls he's taken from prison, but we don't have time for that right now. My bucket. That's the next story. <clears throat> he talks about um, carrying around this bucket because he decided he needed a reminder that he needs a bucket full of patience. So he, I think there's a child story called a bucket full of joy or something. So anyway, it's based on a child story. He decides he's going to carry around this metal bucket with him as a constant reminder well, he goes around and gives all these talks all the time. He, he gives sermons, talks, speeches. He's on all these boards. I mean, he's like very busy. He flies everywhere. So he's out of town. He, he gives this talk and he's trying to get home because he always tries to get home by six o'clock dinner time for sweet with sweet Maria. He's at the rent a car place and he said they were moving so slow and he's trying to remember that he has his bucket full of patience and he missed his plane. He was so frustrated because the guys were going so slow, but he maintained his composure. 
He said he's a very impatient person. He, um, he said he even used to make coffee anxious. Like he's that guy that's just like, (laughs) and so he was walking kind of like sadly back to his, uh, run a car and he'd already missed his plane. He was upset. And the guy ran out and he was like, Oh, the guy who had helped him, who had been moving so slow in the whole process runs out and puts his arm around his shoulders and shoulder. It was like, thank you so much. Um, that sermon was really great this morning. And he was like, what, you know, mind blown. You you were there. And it's kind of like my story from a minute ago. I'm like, that's your mom. Whoa. Glad that I'm on great terms with her and she's darling. And I hope she has a great rep, uh, thought about me too. Like you were at my sermon this morning. Wow. I'm glad I didn't just lose my S H I T and blow up at you because whoa. Um, yeah, you know, that, that would be rough. And so anyway, super cool. Love that story. And it's a great reminder that sometimes we're going to be held accountable. Like we're going to be held, our little feet are going to be held to the fire, whatever they call it. (laughs) What's the analogy there? But, um, he was, he was like a good thing. He maintained his composure and that kid who just watched his sermon didn't see him. He said, okay, let me read it. Actually, it's simple and difficult. The guy up on stage or pulpit or office, etc., needs to be the same at the grocery store, the rental car place, and at home with family. We all know that guy who is just amazing, guy or woman who's amazing at running the company, amazing at giving speeches, whatever, and then you see them out at dinner and they're like yelling at their family or trying to take a picture of their kids and it's like, you will sit right. You know, it's like, ah, um, but she was so sweet to you, at, you know, whatever. So in other words, like I said, no judgment. We got to love those people, of course, but it's simple and difficult. We need to be that person too. The same on the outside as the inside. This whole chapter started, the My Bucket chapter was, um, how is your life working out for the people around you? And I just love that. I wanted to tell the juiciness first before I gave this because if he was losing his mind, losing his patience with the guy at the rental car place. And he had just given that really nice sermon. It's like, you're not practicing what you preach. But if he would have flipped out at that guy, like that's not good for that guy either. Like for him to be impatient or whatever. So how's your life working out for those around you? Are you a nervous wreck because you've overextended yourself? Are you, um, always having to ask for money because you're not spending your money, right? You're not, you don't have an abundance mindset and you have a a lack and scarcity mindset. And you know, you're just always, do you have a victim mindset that you're just constantly complaining and running people off? You, you're so scared of being alone that you become a self-fulfilling prophecy and you run everyone off because you're so down in the dumps all the time or whatever. It's like, eek, okay, how is your life working out for the people around you? And and that's easy to see when you start seeing like, oh yeah, you know, I'm getting some good, some bad feedback. And sometimes negative feedback is great for us um, because it really helps us make decisions that are in our best interest. Like, okay, we need to really clean up that behavior. Um. in my talk a few weeks ago to my, uh, last week, I guess, or whenever it was, when I did this live, I told the girls how to confess on mine. Like my would be racing around 
are you racing around everywhere that you might hit someone? You might get in a wreck or run a stoplight or run a stop sign and hit someone, run someone over that's walking their dog. Like, because you're late for your appointment because you didn't plan right. Your lack of planning is not someone else's emergency and it shouldn't be at least. And I hope it doesn't become one. So that was definitely my confession. And I'm saying it here too, because I think it can be relatable. Like how is your life working out for those around you? If you're speeding and you're acting crazy or you're the devil incarnate because you haven't drank enough water and eaten right that day, that's not okay. You're yelling at your kids because you're, um, you're stressed out at work. You've overextended yourself because you have whatever. I don't have to go over every decision or I mean, every, um, option because we really need a hurry. So let me finish here by saying people don't grow where they're planted. They grow where they're loved. And I love that. We had another little uh, saying like that in the very beginning. And that one uh, I thought was cute too, worth, worth repeating. I'm going to give you the short story story of this one. Um, Someone called and asked him if they he wanted to do a crop drop. This guy says yes to a lot of things. He said yes. He was like, I'm so excited. Where are the crocodiles? I'm so pumped. A crock drop? Yay. What does that even mean? Showed up. He was like, do I wear ammo? I mean, ammo camo to this thing or uh, boots? I mean, what? So he shows up and he's like, hey, I'm here for the crock drop. Where are the crocodiles? And he's like, crocodiles? It's a crop drop. And he's like, a crop drop? Like, what is a crop drop? And he's like... It's all the potatoes that didn't make it, the crop of potatoes, and we're bagging potatoes. And the whole church came together, and they're getting these leftover potatoes that didn't make it to the bag, and they're rebagging them. There are no labels, no, um, nobody had name tags on. They were just bagging them and taking them to soup kitchens and people in need. And he said, that's where I got to see a church. Like we are the church. We all go to our church. We are the church. You cannot leave the church if you don't like something they're doing because you are the church. Like we're getting together. There's no labels, no theology. We're just working bagging potatoes. Uh, He was like, I learned a lot about the church that day. Jesus prayed that we would be one and it was a prayer for unity, not sameness. So none of them were the same. They were all different people from different backgrounds doing one thing for the unity of the church to come together and help those in need. So uh, the next one, be not afraid, all bold, all caps, be not afraid. When you have all the power, you don't need all the words. Just think, like, what if you weren't afraid anymore? He ends up going to Uganda, and he meets with the chief justice of Uganda's Supreme Court. Um, A pretty big deal. Like, a really big deal. He gives a long story of how it happened. It's pretty fascinating. Um, But the long and short of it is they're all really afraid of these witch doctors, there are a ton of witch doctors in Uganda and I'm talking present day stuff is still going on you guys in the last when this book was written and it's been going on for a long time a lot of us don't realize that this witchcraft stuff and um, child sacrifice and all this kind of thing they think it's just it was then and it's not now but it's still going on there's some really sad stuff going on with that so I'm not going to get into much detail of it on for the sake of this book review, but the fact is it is happening 
a lot of people believe, um, not just in Uganda, but it's going on in all places in the world, but they can um, sacrifice these children or at least cut off their private parts and those private parts have power or torturing these kids or whatever, but they often just leave these kids to die. So they just cut off their private parts and leave them out to die. And it happens to almost a thousand babies. Am I saying that loud and bold enough? Like a thousand babies are abducted a year. Babies, little bitty innocent babies and children too that are, um, that are, you know, for these witch doctors, they can go get these babies and uh, they steal them from the parents and they leave them in the bushes just to die. Anyway, Bob goes over to Uganda and he's talking to the chief justice of Uganda's Supreme Court. And he just finally, he hears enough about it. He's like, what if we weren't afraid? Would you be willing to, the reason they haven't caught any of these guys is because often the babies die. Like the there are no survivors of a lot of these acts of um sacrifice uh that's one reason it's sacrifice right but anyway a lot of times the kids die and so but he said if there ever is someone that survives would you let me take them bob as a lawyer would you let me take them to court would you let me happen and he was like yes i will dun 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 you know and um we'll get to that in the next chapter but i just wanted to point out too that Everyone's afraid of these witch doctors because they are afraid, like the police, the Supreme Court, the policy, like politicians. I mean, everybody's scared of these witch doctors. They get away with murder. Literally, they get away with it because they're scared that they're going to cast voodoo spells on them, too. And when I say voodoo spells, I don't mean to make fun. Like they have voodoo dolls and spells and they cut off the private part. I mean, it's a big thing. So anyway, I'm already talking too much about it. Be not afraid. What it, And Bob says, what if we would not be afraid of this thing? What if we would not be afraid? Be not afraid. I'm going to go after this with everything I got. Justice will be served. <coughs> the next chapter is witch doctors and witness stands. Courage comes in all sizes. He talks about Kabi, who is the head of the witch doctors. And um, he, this boy will just call Charlie. Um, he took Charlie, was only eight years old. He was younger at the time and he cut off his private parts, left him in the bushes, thought he would die. Someone found him and he was still alive. And so they brought him in. And so Bob had his first case because that was what the chief guy promised him. Yes, I will give you a, I will let you do it if we find, if there's any survivors. So this was Uganda's first case, uh, for the death penalty against witch doctors at least and charlie's testimony was so big it was so amazing he was so brave and afterward bob even gave him a medal he gave him a medal and he told him who he was he said you were brave you were um this that and the other and he just gave him this medal i mean how cute is that he was just so good he told him what he was And I thought that was so powerful. Well, he leaves and Charlie was so proud, big smile on his face, so, so just glowing, you know. Well, um, Bob, Bob ends up, 
adopting Charlie. How cute is that? Uh, so cute. And by the way, Cobby, um, he starts wondering about Cobby. He's like, well, what about Cobby? And he's like, I never thought that would happen to me. I kind of, like, the, the human part of me wanted him just to rot in his cell and die. I mean, he got the death, death penalty. They served him. And the judge even said, this will never be turned around. It will never be. Um, it was irreversible. Well, he adopts Charlie. Bob does. So now he has four kids. He has a daughter, two sons, and Charlie. Well, now three sons. And, um... He gets a call from this doctor, Randy. So the next story is Randy's skill. It opens with this line. God restores what he creates. Well, Bob adopts Charlie, as I just told you, and Randy completely restores him. Randy calls and says, listen, I'll do it for free. I can do it. I can restore anything. He's the number one, like, hand nerve surgeon or anything. He can restore any limb. And he's like, you don't understand. Charlie's private parts are gone like he'll never be a father he'll never and he's like no no listen to me get together with me for dinner and he drew on a napkin and he was like too much information pal but like let's do it so they go over I think that's why he had to end up adopting Charlie is he had to be his guardian so he goes over he gets Charlie adopts him brings him back now it's his son and um he's never been on a plane before I mean at this point in this the book you're like crying you're like wow oh my gosh so sweet he like gets on a plane he gets to go to the white house it's just phenomenal so sweet and then they uh they go through the surgery it's eight hours and it's completely successful you guys amazing he's restored okay Cobby you're like okay dun 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 he's like I've been thinking about Charlie I mean Cobby well what we punish, God can forgive. So Bob goes, and he's been thinking about Cobby. He goes several times to Uganda, and he wants to go and see Cobby. He goes to the scariest prison he's ever been to. He goes now several times. He forgives Cobby, and Cobby <laughs> ends up wanting to learn more about this Jesus and love and forgiveness. And he's like, I need forgiveness. And so Bob forgives him, but he's like, I mean, I'm forgiving a witch doctor. Like what? Well, he ends up helping all these other inmates. I'm talking 3000 death row inmates. Cobby does. He teaches them then he baptizes them. Bob goes back with one of his other sons. I think his son's name is Eric or something. He goes back with Eric and they're there. And he like is talking about Jesus. He totally gets it all wrong. He's like not even saying some of the stories right. But oh well, like who cares? And he's like, Bob wanted to be like, you can't do that. You're not like, you're not ordained. You can't just be baptizing these guys. He's like, who am I to say you can't baptize them with the, you know, the water and the Bible and Jesus and how fun he even goes up and he like Cobby forgives Bob and Bob's like you're forgiving me a witch doctor who you cut you've killed all these kids like you're forgiving me and he's like but I realized you know we're all imperfect and of course he's forgiving me and I need forgiveness like I'm not perfect either like we all need forgiveness and how powerful that was for him and his son and Cobby and all the guys there and the death row inmates like 3,000 death row inmates get baptized because Bob goes back and shows love to this guy. I mean, I'm just like blown away. 
So it's like, where do you want to go? That's the next story. He, 10 years old, um, all of his kids, he gets to go on a 10-year-old trip with dad. So when you turn 10 in Bob's house, Bob and Sweet Maria, Bob gets to take the kid on a trip. So um, Lindsay, the daughter, wanted to go to London because he says she's half a little girl and half Mary Poppins or something like that. Half princess and half Mary Poppins. I don't know, something like that. High tea. She wants to go to the high tea. Richard, oh, that was the kid's name, not Eric. Sorry, from earlier. His name is Richard. Richard wanted to go to uh, climbing the half dome. Adam wanted to ride across the the desert on a dirt bike. And Charlie, of course, 10 years old. So where do you want to go? Mount Kilimanjaro. He's like, oh boy, don't you want to go to like, you know, um, the beach or Disneyland or, uh, anywhere else. He's like, nope, Kilimanjaro. My main, my mind is made up. He's like, okay. So they try start training and <laughs> getting ready. They go all the way up and he learned a big lesson about Jesus too. Like, I don't have to do anything except go slow. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast kind of thing. Like if I want to get to the top, I'm going to have to go slow. So slow is smooth, smooth is fast, as they say in the military. And follow my guide. I don't have to do anything. And isn't that true with God? Isn't that true with Jesus? Like our guide, we just have to listen. Remember what we learned with the last set, best set, like, or last lap, best, whatever it was. Um, the Olympics guy, like we just have to listen for the voice and follow. That's, that's the thing in this. It's like, where do you want to go? Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay. All I'm gonna have to do is follow the guide over the rock, around the rock, bump into the guide, whatever. Like just follow the guide and you'll get to the top. Big love takes us to high places. Just follow your guide. Um, at the top, he speaks words of truth over Charlie. He tells him how brave he is. He puts medals on Charlie and, um, he tells him to, let's see if I can find it just real quick. Copy. Where do you want to go? Okay. Charlie, you're courageous. Charlie, you're brave. I spoke words of truth and encouragement and love over him. As I put the last medal on him, I said, Charlie, you're a mountain climber and gave him a big hug. He looked like Colin Powell when he walked off that mountain. The most important part of our ceremony wasn't that I said or did all the medals. It was what I didn't say. You see, I didn't tell Charlie how far he had to go. I said, Charlie, look how far you've come. People who are becoming love celebrate celebrate how far the people around them have come. I mean, amazing. Look how far you've come. And so I want to take a moment to celebrate you. Thank you for listening to this. And we're almost done. I just have to tell you one more exciting thing. And then, um, but I do want to take a moment and just celebrate you. Look how far you've come and take a moment, maybe put a hand over your heart and just, you know, thank yourself for hanging in there. And, um, Maybe take a moment just to celebrate yourself for becoming love and, and um, all the many things you've accomplished too. So let's see here. Last one, graduation day. Love always multiplies itself. Would you believe that he went back after the baptism and everything, Cobby and all this stuff and all these inmates, and he's like, what do you need? And the guys are like, Cobby's like, we need to learn to read we need some education and um 
There are all these witch doctors, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not just Kabi. It's not just Kabi. Excuse me, because those are the inmates. It's these witch doctors. He goes back, and he is meeting with these witch doctors, the ones who were sacrificing kids. And he's like, what do you guys need? They said, we've, we've got to learn to read. Like, we need education. And as you and I know, I know, and I hope you know, and at least you know now, <laughs> is that when people know better, they do better. And often we've gone into troubled schools and worked with people. And once we teach them how to learn and read, and once they feel confident and able to pick up a book and read it, and they don't feel so frustrated and confused, they, it's amazing. These guys go in and they teach these hundreds of, hundreds and hundreds of witch doctors how to read. Guess what they're teaching them how to read? Two books. The Bible and love does so they're teaching them their ab abcs and um which i think is just so powerful they're all getting empowered they're learning how to read they're learning love and they are saving they're understanding what love is and that you don't have to cut people's private parts off and sell them and whatever and sell like it's amazing they're saving all these kids they're starting to love kids and save kids now they're helping bob with all these sting operations and they've they've got they've caught so many other witch doctors and they're scaring the bejesus out of them they're like okay if you do this you're going to jail also and forever and they're they're stopping them well they're like graduating from this school and they after they graduate, they wash each other's feet. I mean, how sweet is that? It's like, wow. Then, after graduation, he gets all these calls, right? So he's dead asleep in his room at home in the United States. And he gets this call. And it's one of the witch doctors. Two witch doctors. Women witch, witch doctors together. And they call and they're like, oh my gosh. Um, Bob. A little boy has been abducted by a, a new witch doctor in town. He's taken the child into the bush for a child sacrifice, but we know where he is. Should we go get the child? By this time, I was standing on top of the bed in my boxer shouting, Get the kid! Get the kid! Bob. <laughs> and Bob's like, okay. So then he hears back later. The witch doctors call him back. They send him a text later. We've rescued the child. He's with his mother. A moment later later, excuse me, I received a text message that simply read, love does. Y'all, isn't that so good? Like, that's what love does. Love gets educated, gets loved, washes each other's feet, now saves babies. Like, these witch doctors were sacrificing kids, now they're saving kids. It's amazing. Um, I think that's it. Now we're, yeah, he just talks about you're, it's going to be messy. It's going to be, might even be ugly messy, but it's worth it. And, and what good love does loving everybody always. And so anyway, if you can't tell, I just think this guy is amazing. Bob Goff has my heart for sure for doing big things in the world. And may we go and do big things in the world too for our family. Yes. He's a great dad, great husband, just darling, but for the world too. And so find something that is absolutely, um, purpose driven or driving your purpose and something that is so passionate and may you have a 
wonderful purpose and go out and live it. And thank you so much for listening to this book review. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye.